page fright is recorded in Vancouver on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Thank you to our hosts. Welcome back to Page Fright. My name is A.W. French, Andrew French. I am on Twitter at the Andrew French, and this is a literary podcast. Actually, this is the only one on the entire internet that is hosted by me. It's great to be back in your head. This time, I've got Amanda Riom, A.H. Riom. She is an incredible writer and just such a genuinely interesting human being. We had a great interview the other day that you're about to hear, and I stuck around a little after, and we just chatted for well, a long time about various things going on in the world and both of our lives and where we are as writers. And it was very, very rewarding. So thank you, Amanda, for having me at your home. It was a lovely place. I had a lovely time. And we have a lovely little interview for the listeners today. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. A.H. Riom is a writer who swears too much, reads too much, and is currently in too many book clubs a grand total of four to be exact. She has won multiple awards for her feminist activism and is even mentioned in a textbook about Canadians' women's history. Riom has an MA in Canadian literature from the University of British Columbia and has been published in the Vancouver Sun, The Globe and Mail, usatoday.com, and time.com. She lives in Vancouver. Amanda, A.H., which do you prefer? Um, I go by A.H. as a as my pen name, but I prefer people calling me Amanda. Outstanding. Okay. <laughs> Amanda, how are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> this is what I like to hear. So Amanda and I, well, I kind of just approached Amanda at a reading and was like, hey, you dress really cool. And <laughs> this was essentially the full... The it was full, definitely the conversation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it... It's cool that I finally get to sit down and actually chat about books and stuff with you. I'm very excited to do it. Amanda has brought a reading or two for us to listen to today. So without giving away too much of your style, would you mind telling us a little bit about how you write, what you're working on, and so on? Just the broad spiel? Yeah, so I am the type of writer who is not good at writing short stories. So you will not find any um, published fiction um, from me. I have very big ideas that tend only to fit into novel form. Love it. Um, Very big novels. So the novel that I just um, finished the draft for and sent off to my beta readers this week is a walloping 148,000 words, which is a lot. Yes. Uh, It's long. Um, Whether that'll get cut or not is a question, but I'm really interested as a writer in examining forms. I'm really interested in, in the ways in which we tell stories and how that affects what we're saying, how that impacts um, and re- potentially reflects, problematically always, um, <laughs> our, <laughs> our lives and, and how we live and how interventions with form that are outside of the conventional liter- literary realism that we use can be uh, potentially revolutionary, can be potentially really exciting and fun and playful. And I'm, I'm really interested, uh, as you can tell, one of the things you've said, because we are in my dining room at the moment. Yes, thank uh, you for having me. By the way, it should have been, been an opening. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, yes. 
Um, one of the things that you can tell if you've been in my in my um, dining room is that I have a bunch of pictures of Virginia Woolf. Absolutely. And Virginia Woolf covers and James Joyce on the walls. I'm, I'm deeply fascinated with the project of modernism, um, but also troubled by it, and deeply fascinated with the project of postmodernism and also troubled by that. And so I think what a lot of my writing tries to do is work through and with those traditions and imagine um, what our contemporary writing tradition could be, what possibility there is, rather than just accepting the traditions that we've inherited or, um, or just writing fiction that is uh, realist, which I love reading. I enjoy a good realist novel. <laughs> um, but... I think what really gets me excited intellectually is that intersection of form and story. Yeah, and so I think this being surrounded by Virginia Woolf right now, <laughs> very appropriate given what you're talking about. Yes. Um, for anybody who hasn't read Amanda's work before, which actually includes myself, which yeah. is a, kind of a really cool experience because a lot of this podcast so far seems to be improvisatory, so I get to improvise my own reactions to your own writing. And mm-hmm. you will actually get to improvise some reactions to some writing later, too. It's going to be fun. You don't know what that means yet. because I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> You'll figure it out. It'll be good. Um, so without further ado, why don't we just jump into a reading from... What, what are we going to be reading from? We're going to be reading from my novel. So it's a novel called Unfinished. And it is unpublished, as, um, as I was mentioning before. It's a story about a writer who is currently dying from ovarian cancer and she has an unfinished book that she's not sure what to do with. And basically, uh, she's very famous. She became very famous very young. So in part, the book is an, an exploration of female literary celebrity, but it's also about the things um, that are unfinished in our lives and the things that are unfinished in art. So each chapter is based on an unfinished work of art. Um, Speaking of Virginia Woolf, the chapter I'm going to be reading from is based on A Sketch of the Past by Virginia Woolf, which is um, some of her autobiographical writing that uh, was unfinished at the time of her death, but has since been published. And then every chapter also um, uses a different experimental technique and kind of plays with form. So some of those experimental techniques are an homage to other writers who have done really interesting things and to the tradition of kind of experimental work that came out of both postmodernism as well as um, modernism before it. But it's also kind of an exploration of what experimental fiction or fiction that plays with form could do in the future. Um, So this particular chapter in reading is about the main character, B.E. Clark's husband, George, and he is... um, He is basically trying to cope with some of the things around his wife's death. In the chapter, he actually is going into a doctor's office to get Viagra. Sweet. (laughs) Because his wife wants to have sex with him again, but he is so distraught about the fact that she's dying that he is unable to um, perform. Uh, I don't think we're going to get to that part of it. In That's so time. upsetting. I am heartbroken that we're not. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very sad. But uh, he does get the Viagra. I'm not going to tell you if he gets laid or not. So upsetting. You'll have to, you'll, <laughs> you'll have, have to, to buy, buy the book. book. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you have to buy the book to find out if, if, yeah, it happens. But 
there the um experimental technique that i use is, is inspired by her body and other parties carmen maria Mercado's book where in one of her stories she has a bunch of really fun stage directions and um so they'll tell you to make certain noises while you're reading or to get up and walk around and i really enjoyed that it was a story that came alive because of that and it was playful and new and one of the things that uh, this chapter is doing is making fun of police procedurals. Right. So as you know, Law and Order or CSI or any of those, um, any of those police procedurals that make a lot of money apparently, I don't know why, <laughs> they all have these conventions and they're all kind of problematic for a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. particularly because they don't cohere to anything related to criminal, um, the criminal court system or crime. Like every time <laughs> they find the guy and every time the guy, because it's usually a guy, yeah. gets convicted. Yeah. And that's just not how things work and it's yeah. not how stories work. And when we tell stories that have very clear beginning, middles and ends, and we tell them in ways um, that neatly wrap them up. It's problematic because our lives aren't like that. Like, <laughs> when was the last time you had anything happen where that had like an actual neat ending? Like you break up with someone, there's always unfinished threads between and unfinished conversations and conversations you continue on after you break up with that person. It's true. Um, when someone dies, things they don't get closure on everything people don't get closure but we have this idea that we should expect it because of the, t the way we tell stories so one of the things i'm trying to question in the novel is um how these stories and telling these kinds of stories can be can be harmful in a way yeah for various reasons one because police procedurals are about um, violence and trauma and um they're very much designed to entertain in a way um, that's addictive and really kind of disturbing. Um, so I'm just going to make fun of them. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, and that is basically what this chapter is about. Um, I'm not sure if it will require any other kind of explanation, but I'm going to jump in Let's kind of partway through. And there is some participatory parts that may or may not work. I'm so excited. Um, but uh, here we go. It was like this that George had found himself at 12.03 a.m. on the sofa in the living room, switching on the TV and shamefully turning the channel to one where he knew he could get his fix. His response to cop dramas could only be categorized as, Pav as Pavlovian, um, for when, he ca when one came on the screen, he felt instantly calmed. It was how he had felt when he was a child and sick, his mother briefly sobering up and prioritizing him, making him soup, canned, and ginger ale, flat, then wrapping him in a blanket in front of the TV. It was the lack of expectations that was so comforting. He did not need to do anything. There was no homework, no chores, no, no responsibilities whatsoever. Nothing to make him feel guilty about whittling away the hours watching television. But it wasn't just that, he thought. It was more than that. These shows also spoke to some primitive part of him, didn't they? They reassured him. They made him feel like life was predictable and justice prevailed. They lied to him ruthlessly and in high definition. But there were times in life when lies were necessary. Who had said that to him? Someone had said it. Was it Hyacinth? He had forgotten most things about her, felt that like that whole period of time with her, she was his uh, first wife, gotcha. had occurred in a different life. But it was just like him to remember her out of the blue like this, 
when a million things about their relationship had completely vanished from his mind. How odd, how incredibly ridiculous that he should think back um, to that moment, back to that one instance when she had told him not long after the miscarriage that she would be okay. But he hadn't accepted that, had he? He had pushed her to tell him the truth. And just that once, she had let her defenses down and had admitted that she was not okay. But what had she said exactly? We turn to lies when the truth is too horrible, or sometimes lies are all you've got. It didn't matter, did it? If you remembered it exactly right. What mattered was the meaning, and George could see it now in the glow of the TV screen. Lies were beautiful things. They saved. The show that came on had two female detectives, one good cop, one bad. Nuance, George had learned, wasn't these shows' strong point. Nor, it seemed, was dialogue. When they found a woman wearing snag nylons dead from a stab wound, the bad cop quipped, Well, I guess her plans for the evening have hit a snag. <laughs> Cue intro music. Um, this is the stage direction part. Open a computer browser and Google CSI theme music. Play it now for full effect. Oh my gosh. This is the full version. Oh my god. <laughs> I think this is good. Okay, I won't play the whole thing because then you'll get sued, right? Thank you. Yes, no, that's right. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so as a, as a bad bass guitar riff, George, in his exhausted state, found himself wondering if the pun was unintentionally profound. We are like mice, he thought tiredly with all of our best laid plans destined to go awry. Here he thought of Burns and Steinbeck, of Lenny, of George, of the thousands of small injustices in his life, many he could now only recall, barely recall, of his first marriage, of his unborn daughter, of the fact that now he would never be a father, of his mother, of his father, of children starving in Africa, for there were more than just his own problems, of children starving in Connecticut, for things went wrong close to home as well of everyday disappointments and tragedies, of how everyone dies with only a sliver of their dreams realized, of how we all suffocate under the weight of our own disappointments, of the barren prospects of the rest of his life, and finally, inevitably, of Veronica, of Veronica, of Veronica. So I'm not gonna read too much, so I don't wanna bore everyone, wow. but I will give people um, just a bit of an idea of how the rest of the chapter please, goes. Please, yeah, please. Um, so there's a number of different commercial breaks in the chapter. Um, and there's also a section where, and it's a running gag throughout the chapter, um, where I ask people um, to either Google the um, law and order transition sound or improvise by making a dun-dun sound themselves. Outstanding. So there's a bunch of situations in which... Um, People are asked to say dun dun um, <laughs> at critical points in the chapter. And then I also have these commercial breaks. And um, I'm just going to read, if that's okay, the start of Please. one of them. Please. And it kind of, I'll read a bit um, about how things lead up to it. Um, when George thought of his body, it always looked smooth and hard in his mind. He could see the outline of the muscles he'd had in his 20s and early 30s rippling and flexing under his skin. But that mental image no longer fit the reality of the mirror. There were creases now, near his eyes, yes, but also on his forehead and cheeks. Gravity had laid its hands on him, skin gathered and folded, flesh sagged and thin, fat pooled around his belly. His muscles were no longer visible. He was old. He was ragged. 
Stress had, ra stress had ravaged him over the last year. It would mean a shorter life. Wasn't that what the research said? Perhaps that was for the best if he would be without Veronica, he thought. George got out of the car and walked towards the entrance. As he walked, he repeated a, a stress-related disease to himself with each step. Cancer, heart disease, depression, Alzheimer's. Cancer, heart disease, depression, Alzheimer's. It was like a prayer, an appeal, a promise. Commercial break number two. Pretend there is a commercial for a drug. It starts with people grimacing in pain. Is it mental pain? Is it physical? They don't say. Cue a doctor's visit scene. Cue a close-up of drug packaging. Cue a brighter color palette. Cue a person running through a meadow. Cue a person hugging another person. Cue smiles. Cue the name of the drug. Cue a talk to your doctor advisory. Cue the name of the drug. Cue the name of the drug. Cue small print across the bottom of your screen. Cue a horrifying list of side effects. Cue smiling people. Cue the name of, a, of the drug. <laughs> so that is... Oh my goodness. My, one of my chapters. And Very each chapter cool. is kind of different in its own way. Yeah. Some less, less mocking and less fun. <laughs> this is so sick though. Okay, I am all about what's going on. Couple things I wanted to come back to. I wrote down two quotes that I was really into. The first one was from the first part that you read just the quote that I wrote down was lies saved. The full line was much more impactful than that. Yeah, if you want to pull it back, that'd be sweet. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, I don't know, that that stuck with me. And the I really liked the looking in the mirror and seeing the muscles of his 20s and 30s under the skin and that like coming around to him, like imagining that, that really stuck with me too. What was the, what was the line about the lies saved? George could see it now in the glow of the TV screen. Lies were beautiful things they saved. Yeah, that's something, oh, it's cool. It's such, it's such a well-written line. I really like that. Uh, that was really cool. I have not read something like this before. It is very different, and it's that's what I want it to so be. so different. I wanted to, I, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Please swear. Excellent, because I do swear too much, as my bio says. Oh, outstanding. So basically, I wanted to fuck up the novel. Yeah. No. I wanted to, like, um, just play with it and screw around with it. And like do things that had been done before, but using uh, in different ways. I have this one section of my novel where I talk about, I kind of gesture towards this idea that in experimental fiction, people talk about how once someone has used an experimental technique, if you take it and you like adapt it to yourself, you're somehow stealing, right? Interesting. Like, and and so um, I make a joke that um, literary techniques. Um, aren't single use like condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's very funny. It's so true too, because if that was the case, then I feel like just the conventional novel is already not single use. It's, it's yeah. been redone so many times, which is why this is so interesting to me. Yeah. That's so cool. Most authors read a ton but a lot of authors try to write independently of what they read. And it seems mm -hmm. that you're letting these influences seep through into your work quite beneficially. Uh, and it's, it's just really neat. I think it's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think it's time to break out our first surprise question. Oh, surprises. Yeah, so this is a <laughs> surprise question. So what we've been doing, Amanda, and I'm gonna get you to do this as well okay. after, but the first guest was Shazia Hafiz Ramji. She had a great interview. Wonderful, and then... wonderful human being. Oh, what a great and human poet. being. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah. So, In fact, can I just say, Shazia, yeah. so um, what I don't mention is in my bio is I am a disabled writer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really important because I wouldn't have been able to finish my novel 
without help right. um, uh, because I, I struggle with using screens. Okay. And so I hired people to help me take my edits that I made on a printed out copy and transfer them into documents because oh, I wasn't cool. able to do that. Yeah, smart. And Shazia was actually um, someone who helped me on that. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, so well, she, I have a very, very special place in my heart for her. Oh, this is so great. I, I love yeah. that you guys have such an intimate <laughs> connection because this is a very intimate question. Okay. Uh, so Shazia <laughs> has posed the question without knowing that I would be speaking to you next. <laughs> she has asked, have you ever written naked? Oh, I love that. Um, I mean, yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> and how did that go? Um, I mean, I... I it, it went well. I don't know. I mean, I'll be like yeah. too honest. Like yeah. I sleep naked all the time. Sure. And so like if I write in bed, I often in the morning or, this is how it's gonna happen. Yeah. or in the evening. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to regret saying that on the podcast, but I don't really care. You know what? It's out um, there. It's out there. <laughs> I'll tweet about it. Sure. Um, I'm not ashamed of very much. Definitely not sleeping naked. Um, <laughs> it's just more, it's just, it's just nicer. Okay. It's just nicer. Anyways. Um, so I mean, it, it definitely sometimes works out well I mean usually I'm tired yeah, right because yeah. I'm either going to bed or just waking up if I'm writing naked but sure. yeah it's 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 gone it's gone well lovely I'm so yeah. glad to hear it yeah uh, it's, it's an intimate part of my writing practice no, of course yeah <laughs> we'll make sure to put that in in the description for the episode we'll thank be, you yes yeah Mandarium who writes naked yeah is, uh, also and then just the please bio. make sure that it's like really Googleable for oh, future employers. Of course. That would be, be great. Everywhere. I'd really appreciate yeah. that. That would really help me get jobs in the future. Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well at the end of the episode I'm gonna get you to pose a question to our next guest, who I don't actually know who it's gonna be yet, so you don't either. Okay. Which makes it all the more fun. Um second surprise, and actually I think if I'm right here, the last surprise that I have, and then we just get to chat some more. Okay. Is um everybody that I interview, I'm bringing a book. Okay. As, as a thank you. Oh, that's um, so nice. And so they're all from uh, Dollar Bins or the Salvation Army or somewhere affordable because I'm of, a student. Yeah, you're a student. And I'm trying to do a lot of these. Yeah, I should be giving you books. That's, please yeah. don't. Yeah, uh, I have some. I'll get, I'll, I can send you home with this books. Was, this was not me digging for books. <laughs> uh, let it be known. But I brought you, so I, I met Amanda first at a Talon Books launch. Mm -hmm. And so this is uh, Tish, numbers one through 19. This is a journal that oh. Talon used to print out. I don't know if they still do it, to be honest. Um, it looks very historic. It looks old as heck. <laughs> it looks old. Well, it's probably, we can say it's old as heck, but then people are gonna be like, that was like from the 90s. No, they are because I'm about to read it out. <laughs> this is, I think this was printed. Oh, 1975. Yeah, okay. we've got a 75 here. Numbers 1 through 19, so I'm guessing the writing goes back a little bit, but uh, I skimmed this earlier, and there are some incredible names in here. Wow. Here's how this is going to work. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you this book right now. The, we are officially handing it over. It is no I longer in my it. hands. I have it. It is now officially my book. So you have opened to pages. The thing is, I'm going to get you to read a piece. Uh, so you can pick a piece. I'll give you a second here to look through and uh, just get you to kind of do an improv reading. Um, the, the goal here is just to see how people read other people's work. See if there's any weird connections that come up, or if anything just speaks to you out of the blue. So, give you a sec to take a look. Okay.
Okay, I know which one I'm going to read. Um, it is a Fred Waugh poem, and it's titled Isabella, Two Thoughts. And I really want to read this one because, for those who do not know, one of my favorite people in the world and um, one of the most talented poets and creative nonfiction writers I know is Isabella Wang. Yes. She has a book coming out, or a chapbook coming out from Baseline Press called On Forgetting a Language, which is in 2019. Now, I might buy up all of the copies because I'm that <laughs> proud of her. But if I manage not to buy up all of them, you should definitely buy up some. She is also working on other um, works, some of which are on this very floor. Is that she right? sometimes writes on my floor this in my so kitchen. Funny. I so feel like I'm in a very creative atmosphere. It is a very creative atmosphere yeah. here. Um, okay, so Isabella, two thoughts. The green grass grows dark under the foot's rhythm, and the kept time comes to be gone in the end forgotten what clouds fall into the red west waiting for a moment thus the final suck and all time lost at the edge falling an ounce of energy just remembered forgotten from others at least that much meant more than the night itself and to be taken took it the ounce for me that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for picking that and reading it out for us. Yeah. What a fun connection, too, and a great reason to pick up home. No. <laughs> it's funny. This is the thing is um, our last guest, when Shazia was reading, she was like reacting aloud to what she was reading, oh. which was my favorite part of that. And I love that, at least so far, these pieces seem to stick with people in different ways and resonate in different ways. So. It's fun just to see why people pick the things they do. And also to have them interact with a mystery book is mm-hmm. always a good time. I mean, being able to plug Isabella Wang in the middle of the podcast is definitely makes this like the best podcast I've definitely ever been on. Definitely something to work in there. She yeah. is one of the people I am intending to bring on if she has the time. I know she's one of... She is very busy. She has to be one of the busiest people in Vancouver, if yeah. not the busiest. She might be. She's right up there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, her Twitter page is probably the most posted upon. She's just so busy. She's, a, she's, she's all over busy. the place. She's always reading. It's it's true. Well, yes, she uh, she seems like a very hard worker. I don't know her personally too well, but... Uh, she is the most lovely human you've ever met. And when you meet her, if you're a writer and she knows you from Twitter or somewhere else, she will literally scream in delight and run over and give you a very big hug. And oh, it is hugs. the most adorable and lovely thing ever. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, there we are. Um, I want to jump a little bit more into your sort of writing so far because, so I want to talk a little bit about your novel. First off, we need to celebrate because a recent accomplishment was made by you. That was so well phrased. You recently achieved something, which was finishing a first draft. No, so, I mean, no, it's like way, way, it's like the 500th draft. Okay. Yeah, I just finally sent it out to beta, to beta readers. So, so we'll see what they say. They okay. might say it needs a million more drafts, which is fair. But I think it's still such a huge milestone. That's something we need to yeah. be very happy about. I mean, one of the things I feel about, and I'm just about to write an open book piece, so oh, cool. about this exact topic, because I'm a columnist with Open Book. And where can people find you on Twitter so they can read that column? Um, so I am at a underscore h underscore realm, R-E-A-U-M-E. And um, 
the column was... The column that I'm about to write is about celebrating literary accomplishments. Um, For me, finishing my novel is a really big deal. I started writing it during a very dark period. Um, My ex-partner, who I was with for six years, was extremely suicidal and depressed for three years. So, like, every day he wasn't sure if he was going to get through it alive. And to be a partner who is supporting someone for that sustained amount of time over, I calculated it, over a thousand days of not being sure if the person you love most is going to survive the day. And sometimes having to stop that person physically um, from harming themselves. That was where this book started. Yeah. That was where this book was drafted. And when you're drafting something in the midst of that kind of trauma and um, that kind of sustained fear, it's hard to believe that you're ever going to finish it. I wrote it in inches. I wrote it word by word. I wrote it in moments when I wasn't terrified that my partner was going to imminently die, um, which was not a lot of time. Yeah. So... That was how I drafted the book yeah. um, for my first draft. And then in revising it, I then sustained a life-changing head injury where I had to teach myself how to walk and talk um, at the same time again. I couldn't walk. I couldn't balance. I was on bed rest for three weeks. And then I was off work for six months. I couldn't leave my house for... Um, several months I had to wear sunglasses inside my house with all of the blinds closed oh my goodness. Um, so it was it was definitely something that changed my life and it still continues to change my life and continues to impact it um, and like I said I had to hire people to help me finish my book there were points where I gave up on getting it to the point where I thought it was done because for me like some people involve beta readers very early in the process but I knew the problems in my book and I didn't want to involve beta readers until I felt like um, those problems were fixed. Mm. Um, so they're just going to tell me all the problems I can't see, which is, I think, the best use for beta readers in, in my um, situation. There were so many times when I didn't think that I would ever, ever, ever finish this book. So I think sometimes we have this idea that we shouldn't celebrate, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves as writers. We shouldn't celebrate that first draft because what if it's terrible? What if it never gets published? Um, what if people will um, think we're silly to celebrate or um, think we're premature to celebrate. And coming at the end of what has been six years of um, loss and trauma and feared loss, um, there is not much that I don't celebrate. Every good thing (laughs) um, not only has been hard won, Um, But in the midst of all of those losses, if you don't hold on to the accomplishments, if you don't seize them, if you don't try to celebrate them and hold them up and make them beautiful and big and as big as they are, you you lose something. You lose something. Um, You lose the moment. You lose the accomplishment and you lose an opportunity for joy that will ever come again. Um, So maybe my novel will never be published. Maybe it's terrible. Maybe I need five million more drafts. But I finished it. I got it to the point where I am happy with it. And maybe I won't be happy with it next week or tomorrow. But I didn't think I would ever get to this point. And so for me, um, that's something amazing and wondrous. And 
something that I never believed would actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fucking celebrated it. I went out with a friend yes. and uh, we got dressed up and we went out for a fancy dinner. I took my friend Maddie who helped me, who was the one who primarily helped me. Shazia helped me, Isabella helped me, but Maddie did most of the work because Shazia and Isabella are both very, very busy. It's true. Yes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we went and celebrated and it was a very um, special evening. But you know what? I think it's so important to celebrate these miles. I, I 100% agree yeah. when projects, and there are projects that I've worked on that have come out of what genuinely are difficult times. And it sounds like you've experienced quite a few of those while working on this project. You know, when you work on a project like that, it's so easy to get caught up in, oh, well, if this project doesn't get published, then, you know, all of that work is for nothing. But if it gets you through that time, and at the same point, if you can get to a point where, like you said, I was happy on one day with this work, that's huge. I think it's such a missed opportunity not to celebrate that, or at least to stop for a second, even if it's just a second, and say, I'm proud of what I did here. I mean, that's insane. That's a mm-hmm. huge accomplishment. What else matters and what else do we really write for? Yeah, you know? yeah. And so one of the things that I do as um, a side hustle is I write about, I do personal finance writing and I yes. write a lot about getting out of debt. And one of the ways in which people stay motivated by getting out of debt is is to celebrate, is to have milestones and actually celebrate so that they have, like, getting out of debt is hard. You have to make a lot of sacrifices and and you have to cut back on things. And, like, it's a lot like writing something, a big project, Mm. right? You have to give up things. It is difficult. Um, But people who succeed at getting out of debt are the people who, um, number one, are lucky enough that capitalism smiles at them. And a lot of that involves privilege. It's true. Um, but also those who stay motivated, right? Those yes. who stay motivated and um, continue to keep going. And it's those celebrations and those milestones and that tracking that helps them. We don't think about it. When we when we think about writing, we don't think about that. We don't think about how um, it's not just about feeling that joy, but it's about how stringing those moments of joy together are what continues to make us motivated to keep going forward and keep writing and keep um, getting our voice out into the world. I 100% agree. Well, we are sort of getting close-ish to the end of time here, so I want to make sure we get some more reading out of you. Would you mind reading a little bit more for us? Is that possible? Sure. Yeah? Um, Why don't you read something different rather than... Since we did talk about... So my first open book piece... um, was one that I have gotten dozens upon dozens of messages from. Personal messages, people who have told me that they've read it multiple times, that they like bawled while writing it. And I think it's a good place to end on uh, for a podcast. Okay. Um, this is an excerpt of it. It's, it's the ending. And um, it is a story about um, not, not being able to finish your book. Um, and it's my story about what I what happened when I was supporting my ex-partner and how, so I talked a bit about how I do, I write about personal finance and that's what I got into to support my ex-partner who was off work and that was part of what, um, he couldn't find work so I had to support us both and we were also trying to start several businesses so that he had some kind of um, income that he, where he could self-support because he had tried for um, over a year to get a job and couldn't find one. And then also he needed significant amounts of therapy, sometimes uh, $1,600 a 
a month in yeah. therapy, which is a lot when I'm trying to support. So anyways, I, I, I basically spent um, those three years just writing and writing and writing personal finance stuff. I would voice to text it as I was walking to my day job, yeah. and then I would edit it later that night. So this is just a story about how about non-triumphant writing stories. Okay. Um, so what we silence when we only tell triumphant writing stories is the fact that so many of us are just surviving in a world that sometimes feels impossible, where, where that sometimes feels impossible to do. That so many of us are trying to finish books by telling ourselves we need to pull ourselves up by bootstraps that we never had or that frayed and snapped off long ago. That so many of us are breaking beneath narrow ideas of what an emerging writer looks like or worrying that we'll never finish our books since we don't hear writing stories that reflect our realities. Maybe your writing story also isn't a triumphant one. Maybe your story is far worse than mine, or maybe you just got caught living a life you didn't want and now feel trapped. Maybe you're far older than me, or maybe you're much younger. If you're someone who beats yourself up because you haven't finished your first book, despite the fact that your life has gotten in the way of your doing so, there's something I need to tell you. It's a message from the girl who wore a dent into her, into her chair and cried in the shower and lost her period for a year and yet still somehow felt like a failure. Sometime life breaks you. It can take your dreams and place them on a shelf that you can't reach. You will feel like this is a permanent thing. You will feel like whatever terrible situation you're in will never end, or that you won't survive it, or that if you survive, you will never be able to write again. You will see other writers publish books who are your age or who are younger than you. You will be so happy for them, but you will also feel like a loser you will beat yourself up for not finishing that book, even though your life has made writing impossible. Even if instead of finishing your book, you're busy paying your bills or raising your baby all alone or grieving someone you loved. It is okay to feel that way. But remember, very little in life is permanent. Remember that most when it feels like it's not true. Because I never thought I would get out of that chair, but I did. And I never thought Gio would survive, but he did. His blog eventually started making money and his mood improved dramatically. We're no longer a couple, but Gio is still my best friend. In fact, when earlier this year I experienced a debilitating head injury, it was Gio who drove me to all my doctor's appointments and held my arm as I struggled to walk again. It's also Gio who now encouraged me to work on my novel and listens to me vent about how my revisions take longer and are more difficult with my disability. And while I couldn't see the beauty in my life while it was all unfolding, I believe now that those three years tell a profoundly beautiful story. Sometimes when I look at Gio, my breath catches because I know that he's still here because I wrote. He's still here because I didn't stop writing. He's still here because I gave him the words that would have been my first novel and maybe even my second. How many writers can truly say that they saved someone's life with their words? But just because I can see the beauty in my story doesn't change the fact that it is not the story I wanted my life to tell. Maybe you're living a story that you don't want to be living either. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know that empty motivational platitudes likely won't help you. They never helped me. But what I did learn from my experience was that even when you don't know how you'll get through the day, there's often a way out or a way forward that you can't yet see. Sometimes it takes years. Often the way out isn't easy. Of course, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't also say there are times when there isn't a way out, there are things that won't change no matter how hard you work at them because they're bigger than you and outside your control. But it, that doesn't mean you should give up on your writing. Even if you can't change your circumstances, with time you might, be, you might find ways to cope. 
You might carry your pain with stronger arms and lighter steps, or find friends who will help you carry it. Writing isn't something that happens separate from the other things that make up our lives. And while sometimes those other things can keep us from writing, that's okay. It's important to remember that just like in nature, our lives have seasons. And it's also important to trust that even small amounts of work add up. When Gio and I broke up, I had written a solid draft of that novel. So it's okay if you didn't write a poem today, or if you only have five minutes to work on your novel tomorrow. The writing you need to do will come when it's time for it. A delay is not the same as failure. An obstacle is not the same as a dead end. I believe in us. I believe that I will finish my novel someday soon. And I believe that you will finish your novel or your chapbook or your essay collection too. Someday, things will get easier. And you will write. You will write. You will write. beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing only because Andrew just looked at me with this face. <laughs> so, in general, that comment would be fine. If you <laughs> do just laugh at my face. No, no, no. No, it was just the impression on your face. We were just like, you didn't know what to say. I didn't. Uh, that was a beautiful piece. Thank you. Um, and you know what? I think uh, this podcast came out of a place of me not knowing what would happen with my writing it's still going places that i don't expect it to go and it probably won't go the places i expect it to and so i think there's something that every writer can relate to in what you're saying um your story is yours it's individual but i think the universality to it is there it's subtextual but it's there and and that idea of the process of emerging as being very challenging no matter what level of emergence you're at Mm-hmm. is there for every writer whether you've got six books out or you have six words on your first it doesn't matter everybody's freaked out about trying to do more which maybe is a problem with the whole writing mentality but at the same time there's something we can all relate to in what you just wrote so that really stuck with me that was very very beautiful thank you for sharing that thank you yeah. for saying that <laughs> yeah. so cool i oh man i want to talk more about so many things but we're coming to the end this yes. is it. Um, so before we sign off, I need your question. What do you want to ask our next guest without knowing who the heck it's going to be? Okay, so I think that it's been very clear um, that I am a, a very big lit nerd. Um, just a very big nerd in general. Good. Um, so I, I would ask the next guest, what is the nerdiest... Thing that you've ever done the lit nerdiest thing that you've ever done okay yeah I want to know I want to know I would tell you but I'm taking it to my grave I love it yeah I love it because <laughs> here's the next part is uh what's the nerdiest thing you've ever done do you really want to know I do oh it's no I can't say it please I can't say it it's can you so can nerdy. you give us something even if it's not the top oh solid cringe okay i will i'll give you a secondary nerdy thing i'm not going to tell you the nerdiest thing that i've ever done good compromise but the second lit nerdiest thing that i've ever done (laughs) was that i decided to do a um literary triathlon where um so i was reading i was reading war and peace and then at the same time i had a group of friends who wanted to read 
all seven books of In Search of Lost Time by Proust. Oh my God. So then I was reading both of those. And then a friend was like, you should also, like, made an offhand joke. Like, if you're going to do both of those enormous books, you should also, like, just read Ulysses. And I'm like, I've been meaning to reread it. No. So I decided to do all three of those. But then it gets worse okay so i decided to do all three of those in um like a six month period and i did it and it was lovely and wonderful insane but then i also had my head injury um halfway through that and all i could do was read listen to audiobooks because i couldn't leave my house and i couldn't talk to people and i couldn't have people over i could have people over twice a week for an hour and a half each time And if I did more, I would have extreme, extreme fatigue. And I also wouldn't be able to talk to them because I had severe brain fog and cognitive issues. So I also read um, Moby Dick. (laughs) It ended up being, what is seven? Is that a decathlon? It's, uh, I believe the term is too many. Too many. Okay. (laughs) So I read read those three. I read Moby Dick. I read... um, uh, Les Miserables, which is also a notoriously long book. Yes. And then I read two other ones. I read J.R., um, which is a very long book mm. um, by Gaddis. And one more. Oh, Anna Karenina. And I read all of those seven books. So, uh, well, technically it was, um, well, Proust has seven books itself. That's right. So seven plus six is um, 13. Is more than too many. Yeah. 13 <laughs> very long books. Um, in a very, in like within, um, six months. So I would say that that is probably the geekiest thing that I've ever done. It's pretty geeky. Um, but also it was done in a very geeky way. Like my friend was like, you should just read Ulysses. And I'm like, challenge accepted. Yes. I'm going to do it. And then I did it. But then I also outdid myself and did even more. Um, (laughs) so yeah. So if anyone has topped that, um, DM me with your number. That's right. We're going to get married. (laughs) (laughs) And then just like read books together and talk about them. I'm so glad that this is transitioning into the matchmaking podcast. It's it's not only a matchmaking podcast. It's it's a marriage proposal into the Ether podcast. I'm just putting it out there. Anyone who is as big of a lick geek as me, down to get married. 14 books in six months and you've got yourself a wife. You heard it here first. (laughs) Not 14 at any books. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, these were sizable. It sounds like, yeah, pretty tough. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me over here. Thank you so much for coming on, Amanda. What an incredible opportunity to sit down and chat with you. A.H. Riom. Is there anything you want to plug before we take off? Well, definitely read that open book piece. The open book piece that, sounds pretty cool. That I have just completely given away. It's actually, yeah. there's a lot more to it, I promise. Very there's cool. like anecdotes and other things and like suggestions. Sweet. I haven't written it yet, so I don't, I don't actually know if cool. any of those things are in it, but probably, <laughs> yeah. Well, go see if she did it or not. <laughs> It'll be very exciting. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much again for having me. Let's jump back to me saying goodbye to the episode. for the interview 
Atrium, guys. This is a person whose writing, if you couldn't tell, is a blast. I really do recommend following what she's up to. She also has a great collection of vintage clothing that you should check out on her Twitter profile. It's at A underscore H underscore Riome. Go check out that open book piece she talked about in the episode. It should be out shortly. And I don't really have much else to say other than if you like this podcast, we can make this official, you and I. All you got to do is hit that subscribe button. You can rate and review the podcast as well. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you do and don't like about the show or if you have great ideas or even questions for some of our guests. Maybe we can do a thing where we incorporate some of those. I don't know. But get on there and let me know what you're thinking. We'll be back shortly with another great guest trying to post these sort of on a loose weekly schedule to start us off here. So I really appreciate everybody taking the time to listen, check us out, and you know, shout out the podcast to people that you might know. My name is Andrew French. I tweet at the Andrew French and I write through the name A.W. French. This has been Page Fright. <laughs>